0: The salamander's cryptic nature has inspired many tales and legends ever since its discovery thousands of years ago. Its own habit of hiding away for most of its life, under the leaf litter of the forest floor, under the rocks and boulders that make up the riverbed, and out of sight of man only helps add to its mythos. It can be amazing to think that the monsters and beasts that are responsible for teaching man to harness flame and dragging unsuspecting people down into the water's depths can all stem from an animal smaller than a finger and barely able to lift its own stomach off the ground. Today on Mythozoology, we will be looking at the salamander. Hello everyone, my name is RJ Connors, and welcome to the first ever episode of Mythozoology. Each episode, we will be taking an in-depth look at a species and the legends, lore, and misunderstandings that surround them. Human cultures through the ages have made up wondrous tales for many occasions. Whether it's to explain how we arrived on this earth, how we were able to harness the natural forces around us, or just to scare our kids to make sure they stayed in bed at night, our stories have more often than not involved fantastical elements to fill in the missing gaps we can't always explain for. Many times it is the mysterious natural life that surrounds us that we use to fill in these gaps. This is where I aim for this podcast to go. On Mythozoology, I want to explore these stories and legends and how they relate to the animals that inhabit our world. And along the way, I hope that I'm able to dispel some commonly held misconceptions of these animals and give you, my audience, a newfound understanding for these creatures. If you already know everything there is to know about our animal for today, well congratulations, you get a gold star, but I hope you'll stick around anyways. And with all that out of the way, let's get right into it with today's animal, the salamander. Now when I say salamander, I am referring to the order caudata under the class amphibian. The word amphibian is Greek and roughly translates to both life, which refers to the characteristic life process of this class by which the larval stage of these animals spends most of the first part of their life as fully aquatic beings using gills to breathe and then later metamorphosizing develop lungs and leave the water, at least some of the time. This is not always the case as nature seems to love having exceptions to the rules. For example, Mud puppies and axolotls, two different types of salamanders, retain their external gills into adulthood and will never leave the water. And this leads us back onto our topic of salamanders. There are estimated to be around 600 species of salamanders living on this planet, with North America holding the crown for containing the highest number of species. Salamanders are most abundant in the northern hemisphere and are very lizard-like in appearance. When they were first discovered, they were even thought to be related to lizards, and that is how they got the name salamander. It is an ancient Greek word that roughly translates to mean fire lizard. More on the fire part of this later. Salamanders are ectothermic, meaning that the temperature of their body depends on the temperature of the environment around them, much like reptiles. This is commonly referred to as cold-blooded. Their skin is smooth and semi-permeable to allow them to absorb water and or drink through their skin. They are obligate carnivores and their predatory instincts are largely based on motion and it is because of this that they are not very picky about what they attempt to eat. Salamanders have a nasty habit of taking a bite out of anything they think is food. This includes fingers, even of the people who take care of them, every single day. Salamanders can kind of be jerks. Anyways, before we delve into the mythos behind these amazing creatures, I want to highlight some interesting facts that are actually true about these animals. Some species of salamanders have a unique way of swallowing their food. Instead of using specific muscles in their necks, they use their eyes to swallow. If you watch some species carefully, like the eastern tiger salamander, you'll notice they blink after they've captured their food in their mouth. This blinking motion is used to help push the salamander's food down its throat. There is also a photosynthetic salamander as well. The yellow-spotted salamander lays its eggs in pools that have no fish in them and this is to avoid predation of its larva. Because of this, many of the ponds in which these babies will hatch can be low in both oxygen and food. To help combat this, the larvae have formed a relationship with the bacteria that helps them photosynthesize to survive until they can reach adulthood. Other salamanders also have amazing regenerative abilities that they can use whenever their body is injured. Axolotls have the ability to completely regrow limbs that have been severed from their body. You know, if Dr. Kurt Connors had studied axolotls instead of reptiles, maybe his limb regeneration serum would have worked and he wouldn't be stuck as a giant lizard-like beast resorting to a life of crime. All Spider-Man references aside, however, let's dig into the real reason we're here, and that is to explore the legends and folklore of these animals. Like I stated earlier, the word salamander loosely translates to fire lizard. Setting aside the misunderstanding that salamanders are not, in fact, a type of lizard, there is a lot of links as to why the word fire was added to this creature's name. It was believed that the salamander had the power to both create and extinguish fires. They were also believed to have fireproof skin And were born out of the fire itself. There is no hard evidence as to where this belief started from, but many theories are traced back to the species named the fire salamander appropriately enough. The fire salamander is located throughout most of Europe. They spend their winters hibernating under logs on the forest floor or places similar, such as a pile of firewood sitting next to a person's home. On those cold winter nights, a European villager would probably bring in a couple of logs off of their pile to help warm up their small house, unknowing of the sleeping amphibian that is hiding inside. As the villager would throw the logs into the flames, the salamander would wake up and do what any animal with a suitable survival instinct would do, get the heck out of there. To people nowadays, it would seem logical that this animal must have just been hiding in the log and was scared out. But back then, the world was a much different place we as a society believed the planet to be flat, that we were the literal center of the universe, and that tuberculosis was a symptom of a vampire sucking the life force from your body. With fantastical beliefs like these prevalent within the culture as unquestioned truths, it would not be much of a stretch to see a small creature burst from a fire and proclaim it to be born of said flames. What helped support their claims was as the small creatures fled the fire, they glistened and were cool to the touch as if the salamander itself was immune to the flames. This is, in reality, caused by the salamander's ability to hold water within its body, so if it were to by chance come in contact with a flame, it would be unaffected by the fire for a short period of time, at least enough to get out of dodge. This misunderstanding is the basis for a large amount of myths and legends that relate to the salamander. Another misunderstanding was that the salamander is incredibly poisonous. Lore stated that if the salamander was wrapped around a tree, all fruit that that tree ever produced would be tainted with the salamander's poison and would become inedible, making any person who consumed it incredibly sick and even die. It was also said that if the salamander was found in your well, all of that well's drinking water was now poisoned. While all salamanders are poisonous, most of them are just so much as in they'll put a bad taste in a predator's mouth and maybe make them feel a little sick. While all salamanders are poisonous, most of them are just so much as in they'll put a bad taste in a predator's mouth or maybe make them feel a little sick. There is no vertebrate on earth, let alone a salamander, that could do that to a tree, but I believe this can be traced back to the fire salamander as well. As discussed before, the fire salamander was spotted often enough in Europe to have myths created about it. So it stands to reason that multiple legends could be made about this same animal. The fire salamander does possess a more potent toxin than most salamanders. Its toxins have been known to cause muscle convulsions, hypertension, and respiratory paralysis. While all of these sound very unpleasant, the fire salamander's toxins are rarely ever harmful unless ingested. It was from all these myths that, much like a middle school rumor, legends started to take on a life of their own until there were now two versions of the salamander, the very real amphibian and the mythical beast. These myths and legends can be found all around the globe. In Greece and Rome, the salamander was believed to be a spirit that lives within the fire. In fairy legend, salamanders were the ones that taught the first humans how to make fire. The salamander was also the name for fire fairies in Celtic lore. In medieval Europe, they were often associated with military glory and the fight for freedom. In alchemy, salamanders were a symbol for sulfur and also linked to the quest for the Philosopher's Stone. For those of you unfamiliar with alchemy, the Philosopher's Stone is a special stone with near magical properties. The Philosopher's Stone has the ability to turn base minerals such as lead into pure gold and can also imbue the stone's wielder with extended life making said person practically immortal. If this sounds familiar to you, modern pop culture has seen this mythical object use as a plot narrative a few times in recent memory. In the popular Japanese anime and manga series, Full Metal Alchemist, we see our two protagonists, brothers Edward and Alphonse Elric, on their quest across their country in search of this elusive philosopher's stone. In fact, they wanted this stone so badly, they were willing to pay an arm and a leg for it. The stone also pops up again in the first harry potter book harry potter and the philosopher's stone it was renamed to the sorcerer's stone for the american audience apparently because it didn't sound magical enough now how does this alchemic legend tie into our quadrupedal friend that's what i'm getting to right now for an item so powerful there must be a heavy price to pay but how will this price be paid if you've been paying attention you may be able to guess at least a part of it through a growing trend in today's episode. In order for a person to possess the Philosopher's Stone, one must first enter the fire, be baptized by it, and then overcome it. This fire is most often symbolized as a salamander. In the text of The Seven Planets, a passage reads, as the salamander lives in the fire, so does the stone. Salamanders also show up in an ancient Chinese folk tale, The story goes that a man was traveling the countryside, clothed in a special garment, that he claimed made him invincible to fire. The reason he proclaimed this was that his clothing was made of, and this is not a typo, salamander hair. When he boasted about this at a village, they challenged his claim by throwing his garments into an open flame, where it subsequently did not burn. At least that's how the story goes. As I stated before salamander's skin is smooth there's no hair to be found on it so where on earth did this man get his salamander hair from well he didn't most people believe that if this story is real in any way that this man's clothing was made instead from asbestos which is a flame retardant so while the traveler may not burn to death i can assure you there is another way that he is going to leave this world now that we've looked at some of the myths and legends surrounding the salamander, I want to use the next segment to take an in-depth look at a mythical creature that was inspired by them. Today's mythical beast brings us to the island country of Japan to meet the kappa. The kappa sometimes is referred to as a river child and is one of many water deities found in Japanese mythology. Their appearance, attitude, and mannerisms different from region to region but the most common version of the beast goes a little something like this. The Kappa is a roughly humanoid imp about the size of a 6 to 10-year-old child. They have a tortoise shell covering their back, scaly reptilian-like skin, a beak, and a ring of hair surrounding their defining feature, which is a depression in the top of their head. This depression contains a strength-giving liquid that is the source of the Kappa's power whenever it is away from the water. Kappas are said to have surprising strength, being able to take down a full grown man. These creatures like to inhabit freshwater streams and ponds. Stories of their deeds range from minor if not slightly pervy pranksters who trick children and look up women's kimonos to downright vicious beasts that kidnap children and animals and then drown them to feed on their blood, drain their life force or suck out their entrails. Many of these details have clear allusions to the symptoms of drowning victims, which is more than likely where they get this nasty reputation. It is said that the one way to defeat the kappa is to bow to it. When the kappa is obligated to bow back, the liquid will fall from the depression in its head and the kappa must slink back to the water in order to keep itself from dying. The way that these devious creatures link back to a salamander is through one of the largest species of salamanders in the entire world the Japanese giant salamander. The Japanese giant salamander is massive. It can reach up to 5 feet in length and weigh upwards of 55 pounds. This species spends its entire life under the water living in freshwater ponds and streams where they will hide in dark crevices under rocks and tree roots when they're not hunting. They are rarely seen in the wild and when they are encountered it can be a startling experience. This species, like all salamanders, are reactionary hunters. Their instincts are based on motion, and they will bite anything they perceive as small enough to be prey, such as a human foot or a small child. When a child disappears under the water with no apparent cause and the culprit is never found, it's not a long stretch for a grief-stricken mind to believe that a devious creature, such as a kappa could be responsible. While these are the legends in myths of the past, Now I want to explore the legends and mythos of modern human culture. The most prominent form of this is through our popular culture. So we'll wrap up our exploration of salamander legends by looking at their place in our books, video games, movies, and television shows. Salamanders are commonly used symbolically, such as in Fahrenheit 451, the 1953 novel by Ray Bradbury, where they are used as a literal symbol by the firemen in the book it's the name given to their fire truck as well. Going back to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, in one scene, Fred and George are seen in the Gryffindor common room, lighting firecrackers, shoving them inside salamanders, and then laughing as the little animals flew across the room. As a child reading this, I was horrified that they would do this to such innocent animals and blocked it from my memory until recently when I went back and read the books again and rediscovered this little bit of story. To my immature mind, This just played out as a horrific prank that really changes a lot of the characterization of the twins. I mean, torturing animals is not a great way to show off your character's fun side. Going back now and knowing that these are not normal salamanders but in fact mythical ones does make this better as adding fireproofing to the little creatures makes this less of a sociopathic move and more of a harmless prank as the salamanders were just taken for more or less of an innocent flight across the common room. I personally think the Weasley twins are still jerks for doing it though. (laughs) Moving on, in the popular video game series Pokemon, many of the titular creatures are inspired by the salamander. These include the Wooper line, the Mudkip line, and one of the most famous Pokemon of them all, Charmander. The Charmander line takes it one step further by adding in the fire mythology to the characters. One of the more interesting stories to come out of Hollywood involving salamanders is a tale of the Pixar movie Newt. Never heard of this picture? Well, there's a good reason for it. Newt was scheduled to be the 14th feature film to come out of Pixar Studios. Originally scheduled for a 2011 release date, the film was then pushed back to 2012 before being taken off the release schedule altogether and being replaced with Brave. The story was to center around a blue-footed Newt aptly named, well, Newt. He's an individual who spent his entire life in a lab before meeting Brooke, a wild-caught blue-footed Newt that also happens to be the only other individual of their species left on Earth. The two must learn how to overcome their differences if they hope for their species to continue on after they are gone. The movie went through many struggles during its production. Ed Catmull was quoted in 2014 saying, Newt was an unlikely idea that wasn't working. Along came Peter Doctor who said that he would take on the film, but had a different idea for it altogether. That new idea turned into the film Inside Out. Currently, Newt remains the only cancelled Pixar film. If that plot sounds familiar to you in any way, it's because it is the same general premise for a different movie that premiered in theaters around the same time Newt was supposed to be released. That film is Blue Sky Studios' Rio. Rio also features an odd couple paired together who are the last of their kind, and must make it work for the sake of their species. They both also have blue in their name, so there's that kind of going for them, even though it's not really related. The movie opened to mixed reviews, but did make enough money to greenlight a sequel. So instead of getting a beautifully animated Pixar gem about an adorable quadrupedal amphibian, we got Jesse Eisenberg singing. Well, that's it for our pop culture exploration. Now I'd like to move on to our last segment for today. At the end of every episode, I want to highlight a conservation need for our species and discuss the animal's struggles and ways you can help. For today's conservation conversation, I'm going to talk about the hellbender. The hellbender is the largest species in North America. Like the Japanese giant salamander, it is fully aquatic, but only grows to be about 12 to 29 inches long. There are two subspecies of hellbenders, the eastern hellbender, native to the Ohio River Valley and north into Pennsylvania and New York and south into Mississippi and Alabama, and the Ozark hellbender, native to the Ozark mountain range. The hellbender was given its great name due to the way that it appears to be moving like flames as it travels through the water. Also due to their name and habit of being seen emerging from the depths of riverbeds it was believed that this animal was a creature from hell. There are many misconceptions about these guys that have helped lead to both subspecies becoming endangered. Fishermen thought the hellbender spread its slime over their territory of the river and fishermen's lines to keep fish away. While hellbenders do have a protective slime-like coating over their body, it does not keep fish away. Fish are one of their sources of food, so it is counterproductive to their own survival to push food away from their territory. It is also thought by some that they are extremely poisonous and feed on game fish. It is said that a stream with a hellbender is devoid of fish. Both of these are in fact false. But it is for these reasons that the hellbender has caught a nasty reputation and is perceived as an enemy of fishermen. Fishermen have been known to kill hellbenders when they catch them or spot them in hopes of improving the streams and rivers. Humans are also responsible for the other two main factors in hellbender population declines, which are habitat loss and deforestation. Hellbenders, like all amphibians, are very sensitive to changes in their environments and thrive in cleaner waterways. If you're lucky enough to find a hellbender, it means that you are currently at a very healthy waterway. If you happen to be fishing and catch a hellbender, please cut the line and let the animal be on its way. Or if you know someone who loves to fish, make sure they know the truth about hellbenders and let them be. Many AZA-accredited zoos, such as St. Louis Zoo, Buffalo Zoo, and Fort Wayne Children's Zoo, just to name a few, are active in these programs, and because of their work, populations are starting to climb back. You can support these facilities, their programs, and many more like it by visiting their wonderful establishments. You can also check out Help the Hellbender. This organization, based out of Purdue University, helps raise and release hellbenders back into the wild. You can learn more about them, look over some additional educational material, and check out some events if you happen to live in hellbender habitat by visiting their website at helpthehellbender.org. That's H-E-L-P-T-H-E-H-E-L-L-B-E-N-D-E-R dot org. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in to our very first episode. If you like what you heard, please be sure to share. Tell your friends, tell your loved ones, tell the cashier at Starbucks, I don't care. The more people listening means the better the show can be. If you have any questions, comments, or pop culture references I may have missed, you can email the show at mythozoologypodcast at gmail.com. That's M-Y-T-H-O-Z-O-O-L-O-G-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And you can also give the show a like on Facebook while you're at it, at Mythos Zoology Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to stay tuned for our next royal episode. Till next time, be well and keep learning.